This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present, and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast that, wait, what does it say here? Brings you brief explanations of religious festivals. That can't be right. But anyway, as always, it's me, Noon, and my co-host, Bagel. How you doing today, Bagel? Cool. Well, uh, listeners, it's uh, the Easter long weekend. Zach's away having a good time uh, playing a gig, I believe, which is cool. It's just me and, you know, politics. Who cares? So I thought I would do just a little mini snack snack pod snack. You know, every time you say snack, it gets shorter. Um, about Passover, um, which is a Jewish holiday that's happening this week as well. Um, and that... Uh, Easter happens around now because uh, Passover happens around now. Um, So I think most of our listeners are not Jewish. Uh, Probably most of them are non-practicing Christians. Um, And uh, yeah, so I thought I'd just give a bit of info about like Passover and the the Jewish festival and like what it is and what it means. So yes, uh, it's called Passover in English. Uh, That's a translation of the Hebrew word Pesach, which means like to skip something or something like that. And it's called that because, um, uh, as I'll get into, you know, uh, the story's in the book of Exodus. Uh, It's the story of Moses and the the Israelites or the Hebrews uh, later to become the Jews leaving Egypt where they were held as slaves. Um, So, and they brought all of these plagues, 10 plagues. You may be familiar with them from the Prince of Egypt. Um, But the last one was that uh, the angel of death would kill every firstborn of the Egyptians. Um, and this is kind of revenge because, um, so, so, uh, according to the, the Bible, um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and their numbers were growing rapidly. And the Pharaoh was like, um, the king of Egypt was like, uh, this is alarming. Kill all of their male children, uh, just to make sure they can't fight us. Um, which is obviously like, super sexist and also a genocide um and yeah so then moses tries to lead the israelites out of egypt and they do all of these uh plagues um yeah and uh it's the story of moses as well um or or his origin story so he was according to the story he was an israelite child uh and his parents basically like put him in a basket of reeds and popped him in the Nile and it washed down and Pharaoh's daughter found him and adopted him. And so he became like the prince of Egypt, as it were. Um, But he was ethnically very visibly distinct from the Egyptians and everyone kind of like knew he was an Israelite adoptee, or at least that's sort of the implication. Um, Yeah, and so then he um, sees an Egyptian uh, beating an Israelite, and so he kills the Egyptian, and all the other Israelites are like, bro, you're gonna bring the cops down, what the fuck, man? Um, so he runs out into the desert, he encounters the burning bush, which is like, Moses, go back and organize a revolutionary cadre. And he's like, whatever you say, Mr. God. Uh, and he goes back, and he and his brother Aaron do these ten plagues. Um, and 
I like to think of this as the sort of, I'm sure it wasn't literally the first, but like the first direct action campaign in history. Um, again, you know, quote unquote history. I should mention as well, like there's no um, archeological evidence for the Israelites having ever been slaves in Egypt or wandering around the desert afterwards. So, you know, dramatization may not have happened, but you know, according to the Bible, they, yeah, they do all of these plagues, and it's also a magic battle. Um, there's a bunch of this stuff where it's like, Moses brought down boils, and uh, Pharaoh was like, hey, my magicians, can you do that? And they're like, yep, and they do. And he's like, ha, huh, I'm not impressed. Um, so, you know, magic battle, that's fun. Um, and I just wanted to mention very briefly one of the plagues, the, the Plague of Frogs. Um, and this is in Exodus 8. Uh, I think it's the whole chapter, Exodus 8, if you want to read it. It's pretty short. Um, but basically, it's like, Moses is like, hey, Pharaoh, um, if you don't let us go, we'll bring a plague of frog, singular. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, do it. And um, yeah, it's translated usually as the plague of frogs. But in fact, the, the word frog is singular in the Hebrew. And the rabbis uh, of later antiquity like the talmudic era which is like uh, you know first century ad thereabouts please don't correct me if you have a more accurate date than that but roughly um and uh they were like okay it says frog the fuck is up with this frog singular and they decided that there must have been one huge mega frog and every time any of the egyptians hit it like the bit that they cleaved off would turn into another smaller frog um Sort of like some of those enemies in Slay the Spire or whatever. But anyway, I think that's a fun little, like, later explanation of a grammatical thing in, in the Torah, which really, I think, gives a lot of insight into how, uh, like, rabbinical culture works or worked. Um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, another little story um, that kind of happens in the middle of this is uh, a last-minute emergency circumcision. This is in Exodus 4. Um, uh and it's a bit ambiguous. I'll just read the text here. Um, and this is, I think, the KJV translation. And it came to pass by the way at the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, who's Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut the foreskin off her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Um, and again, this just kind of like comes in the middle of a completely different story, and it, it has a lot of ambiguous hymns. So it's like, she, uh, uh, he came to him, he wanted to kill him, and then she cut it off him and threw it at his feet. Um, and so he let him go, and it's like, what's going on here? But basically the consensus is that God came down and was like, hey Moses, you didn't circumcise your son, bro, I'm going to kill him, or you, possibly. And then his wife, who I think she's Egyptian, um, I could be wrong about that, uh, is not into circumcision, basically. But she's like, well, fucking great. I guess we're going to have to circumcise our son, huh? And she does and, like, throws it down at either Moses's feet or God's feet. Uh, and then God's like, good enough for me, and leaves. But anyway, yeah, last minute emergency circumcision. Um... Nothing to do with the story of Passover, but just a fun little thing that happens sort of in the midst of all of this, but yeah. So, yada, 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 they kill all of the firstborn. Oh no, it was, that's important, right? Sorry, so the, 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 the first nine plagues don't have their effect, and so then the next last one is going to be murder all of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And uh, Moses is like, hey, uh, spread the word amongst our crew. Uh, 
take a lamb and roast it and uh, use its blood to like do a little line above your door. And then the angel of death who's coming to kill all of the Egyptian firstborns will pass over, or like skip Pesach, your house. Um, And uh, I really like this whole scene because it sort of like shows the workings of revolutionary organizing. Because Moses is like, okay, we're going to basically have a death squad that is going to go from house to house murdering people. And we don't want to murder Israelites, so please, um, like, indicate visibly on the outside of your house that your child shouldn't be murdered. Um, And the angel of death will pass over. Um, And he's also like, if anyone doesn't have a lamb... Uh, go and share a lamb with your neighbor, um, and everyone has to share it. Uh, everyone needs to have a nice big meal, and um, just maybe get up early tomorrow, huh? Yeah. Um, and so, like, he wants everyone to be, like, fortified, able to, like, get the fuck out when shit goes down, and also to, like, be in touch with their neighbors so that no one is, like, left behind, basically. So it's like, if you can't afford a lamb, make sure you're with someone who can, um, and be prepared. So the shit goes down, they murder all of the firstborns, and Pharaoh's like, alright, get the fuck out. And Moses is like, alright everybody, let's roll. And uh, just by the way, we're gonna have to go now, so don't bother putting yeast in your bread, because uh, we won't have time to let it rise. Um, and they put the, the, um, the dough on their backs and walk down to the sea, and then Moses parts the sea, and they cross it, and Pharaoh's like, oh shit, Wait, that was our, like, free source of labor, our, our slaves. Um, we'd better get them back or we're going to be fucked. Um, and so all of his chariots ride after them. It's funny, it's like, they, Pharaoh took his 600 best chariots and then another 300 chariots and also the rest of his chariots. It's like, ah, I feel like this could use an editor. Um, but uh, anyway, they all get crushed when the sea uh, goes back together. And then the Israelites uh, sing a very... Uh, a song, the Song of Miriam, it's called, and it's thought to be one of the oldest pieces of text in the Bible, um, which is cool. Um, yeah, it's a fun song. There's a bunch of really good songs uh, for Pesach, though that one is sung the rest of the time as well, not just for Pesach. Um, anyway, and then they wa- uh, wander in the desert for 40 years, um, the details of which can be found in... Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. No, I mean, uh, whatever. And then they they settle in slash conquer what is now roughly the land of Israel. Anyway, um, but the point is, Passover is a very important festival because it um, is, in a lot of ways, the origins of the Jews, and it also is, um, like... Judaism doesn't have much of a concept of sin. Like, it exists, but basically the way that, like, motivating people to do things works is that God made these commandments, and they're called mitzvot, which just means commandments. Um, And there are 613 of them in the Torah, I believe. Um, And a lot of them are about Pesach. And so, for example, um, we are commanded to not eat anything leavened for seven days, to remember. We are commanded to eat better herbs, and we're commanded to do a bunch of other shit. Um, And so we have this Seder to commemorate 
this event and leaving Egypt. So Seder uh, just means order. Um, so like, uh, there's a Hebrew phrase called Beseda. It's like all in order. That means like, all good. We all good here. Everything cool. Called Beseda. Uh, it's a very useful phrase. Um, but that just gives an example of like what Seder means. It means order. Um, uh, but it, it just means like the ceremony that we do every year uh, to commemorate it. Um, there's a whole lot of different bits of it. It's really complex. You have to drink four glasses of wine. There's all of these different food items, um, uh, which I'll go over in a sec, some of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, then, uh, one of the things that I think is cool is that, um, uh, there's this tradition that when Elijah comes to announce the return of the Messiah, uh, it's a bit complicated because Elijah is kind of like the, uh, alpha playtest Messiah, and then there's like a proper release messiah but anyway and, and so elijah comes uh to announce it that's that's the theory at least um and it's believed that he will turn up at a seder uh and we don't know which one um so at every seder there's a spare plate and a spare glass of wine in case elijah rocks up and there's this bit where you're like and now elijah if you were thinking of turning up this would be a good time and um it's a fun you know thing that's happened to every family at some point where like Cuddy and you, you get to that bit and uh, cousin Gideon walks in and is like oh sorry I'm late everyone and everyone's like oh look it's Gideon it's meant to be Elijah but we do have a spare spot for you whatever anyway um, yeah so uh, as I say a lot of things in the Seder there's this book called a Haggadah which is like a special Passover prayer book um, and you just have to have like an entire other book for doing Seder um, but one of the key elements that I wanted to mention in a little bit of detail, not, not really very much, um, is the Seder plate, uh, which is this ornamental plate. Like often it's a like wedding gift that people will give is like a beautiful handcrafted artisanal Seder plate. Um, and there's a bunch of symbolic foods on it. And, um, again, so this is like a big family meal. It's kind of like Christmas lunch, I guess would be the equivalent. Um, in terms of, like, big family meal event, um, which obviously, like, that's a thing for a lot of religious holidays, many Jewish ones and many non-Jewish ones, but yeah, this is, this is a, a pretty big family deal, basically, usually, um, and so often there'll be a few Seder plates, uh, spaced along the table, and each of them has, uh, a, a whole lot of symbolic, yeah, food items on it. Um, and so just a few examples, so maror, uh, which means bitter herbs, um, and I mentioned that before, that we're commanded to eat bitter herbs, um, on, on Pesach, and these are meant to represent the bitterness of slavery. Um, and then there's haroset, which is like a sort of a, a rough cut applesauce or something like that. It's pretty tasty usually, um, and it represents mortar, which is like the, uh, the hard labor of being a slave, uh, basically, is another metaphor for that. Another one is an egg, um, which I think was actually a relatively later edition. I don't think eggs are, like, in the Passover story particularly. Um, and this actually could be an example of uh, what's called deophagy or something, like syncretism, uh, which is not really a big thing in Judaism, but basically, you know, Christians did this a lot and Romans did it a lot, where they'll, like, encounter some other religious system and they'll, like... Um, 
adopt a whole lot of their symbols and traditions and be like, oh, yeah, 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 but you're actually worshipping our god when you do that. Don't worry. You can keep doing that, but it's actually uh, for us, by the way. Um, and, you know, just for example, um, people claim that Jesus was uh, never existed. Uh, a lot of people think that, but um, and that it was actually a myth based on Horace, who was also born on December twenty fifth, and that it was like this integrative, syncretic kind of yeah, deophagy. Is that what it's called? Theophagy, something like that it means god eating. Anyway, um, uh, shout outs uh, Zach and his main boy the Pope for teaching him what phagy means. Um, and so uh, it's possible that the egg was one of these uh, syncretic traditions of Easter, right? And so still at Easter today, we eat chocolate eggs symbolically and chocolate rabbits symbolically because both of them represent spring and rebirth and new life. And the egg also is thought to represent the sacrifice at the temple, which is like a whole other thing that, I don't know, maybe I'll do one for Yom Kippur or something this year, but... Um, uh, yeah, so the egg is also symbolic of various things. Uh, some people traditionally will dip the egg in salt water. Salt water is another important part of Pesach uh, because it represents the tears of the people ens enslaved. Um, so those are some of the very traditional uh, symbolic foods, but there's been some new ones added recently, or at least in certain um, groups. Uh, one of them is an orange, and um, this represents uh, queerness uh feminism and like yeah like social justice within judaism and uh <laughs> wikipedia says that this is an apocryphal story I didn't this isn't really the origin um but i think it sort of gets the uh the vibe right at least um that the orange came from uh some seminary student it was a woman who went to her rabbi and was like i want to be a rabbi basically and he was like women have no more place being a rabbi than an orange has a place on a Seder plate. And so she was like, okay, well, we can make a place for an orange on a Seder plate. Again, Wikipedia says that's not true, and it was actually for other reasons. Um, but nonetheless, um, an orange is uh, often now put on a plate for progressive Seders. And there's a tradition that I just learned about while I was doing the research for this, that um, people will spit out the seeds to represent spitting out homophobia. Um, so, good-o. Um, and another one is an olive, which is there for solidarity with Palestine, um, partly chosen as a symbol uh, because the Israeli destruction of olive trees and olive groves has been really devastating for the Palestinian like community and society um, because it's a big part of their uh, both like export economy and local like ability to survive on the land under a blockade or whatever um, so I think both of those are pretty cool new symbolic additions to add and on that note uh, I'd like to wrap up this longer than expected monologue um, just to like temporize on what Passover is about for me and f I think and this is very clear in the liturgy as well many is not an original noon concept but it's about fighting against oppression and it's about solidarity with people who are oppressed and I think one of the things that I have come to really appreciate about being Jewish 
maybe I should have said at the top that I'm Jewish, but anyway, um, is that I feel like we have, um, like moral culpability to each other. That's not quite the right word, but like, basically being Jewish means to some extent accepting that you're in a community with all other Jews in the world. And therefore, I think we have some kind of right and responsibility to encourage each other and demand that we all, like, do our best, you know, are, are as ethical and responsible as possible. And that on some level, I feel like, you know, I don't want to go up to a random... Australian and be like, listen, buddy, we're both Australian. That means I have a right to tell you what you should be doing and when your behavior is out of line or whatever. But I do feel that with other Jews to a certain extent, especially ones who I don't have sort of like a personal relationship with, I think, you know, those demands sort of are implicit in friendship or whatever to, to a certain extent. So like my Jewish friends who I know, I wouldn't probably appeal to their Judaism might appeal to their like humanity in a broader sense or like yeah but with random Jews that I encounter I feel like I, I can say like hey we are or you are complicit and actively supporting the genocide of the Palestinians or demand that they vote in Australia for a party who will like not even voting, sorry, that's unimportant, but, like, Jews within Australia to work for the liberation and equality of Indigenous people, um, because we were once slaves in Egypt, you know? Uh, again, dramatization may not have happened, but, like, it's fundamental to the Jewish psyche and history and community that we were. And I wanted to conclude this little ramble about a uh, with a, another Passover tradition, which is the four questions. And so these are four questions asked by four sort of like prototypical types of children. I think there's the wise child, the stupid child, the evil child, and the child that is too young to ask or something like that. Uh, whatever. The, 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 wise, well, the wise child is like, what did we learn from leaving Egypt and what you say is like well we learn all of this stuff and now we have to do the Seder and like blah 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 and you just like sort of answer the question as sophisticatedly as you can and then the stupid child says something like what's going on or so I can't remember what that one is doesn't matter the the one who's too young to ask you are supposed to just be like this is how we remember that we were slaves in Egypt or so you're just supposed to like explain it to them as simply as possible and wait until they can ask questions in a few years or something. Again, if you are a sophisticated Jewish theologist and I'm getting this stuff wrong, don't worry, most of our audience is goyish and we'll forget this by next year. Um, but the wicked child asks, it's like, why did, uh, what did you get from being freed from Egypt? I can't remember the exact phrasing, but the point is that it's a second person pronoun they say what did you learn or like why did you escape or what i can't again i should have copy pasted into the notes the exact phrasing but the point that i want to make is that they're wicked because they exclude themselves from the circumstances they say look i'm not a slave in egypt i don't need to commemorate this it's all about you guys and like as a you know 
atheist, uh, like, who rejected my Judaism for a long time, I always sort of sympathized with the wicked child. But now I think there's something quite important about that where people uh, see oppression and think, well, that's got nothing to do with me. I'm not complicit in this and I'm not suffering from it. And in fact, it's very rarely that neither of those are true or that I, like either of them aren't true. I think for most people, I think, you know, even extremely wealthy CEOs are being crushed by the horrors of capitalism. Like, I don't think you can do that much damage to the world without feeling some horrible shit that, you know, no doubt gets repressed in various ways and results in them doing more horrible shit. But like, um, uh, even when you're benefiting from systemic privilege, you're also suffering from it. And, we, you know, we talk about, like, men needing feminism in order to, like, be whole people who can express our uh, emotional worlds and, like, be kind and open-hearted. And, like, yeah, it... I, I think that's important to see how we're complicit and also suffering from oppression that might seem to be not ours. And so, yeah, I, I kind of mentioned this a few times, but I think solidarity and social justice are the fundamental concepts of Pesach. Um, and so I think that's really cool and worth considering. Um, and I think it's, uh, as I say, a point where Jews can talk to other Jews about the things that we are complicit in. Um, and I think, you know, just for example, the, the orange and the olive on the Seder plate are really good examples of people trying to be aware of and maintain that approach. Um, yeah. Anyway, there you go. That's my little Passover spiel. Um, Anyway, I said I might do a little song at the end. Uh, I don't really feel like singing, uh, you know, a cappella at the end of this track. But um, this is a song called uh, The Four Questions. Uh, it's a song always called Manish Tana. Um, and it's basically... Uh, so this isn't The Four Questions of the Wicked Children. Un unrelated Four Questions. Uh, but um, it basically says, Why is tonight different from all other nights? And then each verse is like, well, because on other nights we eat whatever we want, but on this night we only eat matzah. Sorry, oh, I didn't really go into this because my least favorite bit of the whole thing, and it's the bit that gets like most significantly noticed outside of Jewish communities, which is matzah. Um, so, you know, I mentioned about the dough on the backs, and Moses is like, don't bother with the yeast, there won't be time. And so they had to eat unleavened bread or matzah, as it's called. And so now, in modern Australia and American stuff, people generally buy boxes of the worst cracker that you've ever eaten, and that's matzah. Um, and I fucking hate it. It's awful. Which is kind of the point, right? Like, the point is to be like, oh, I'm still suffering as a slave, or like an escaped slave. Like, I need to remember how horrible this was and why we need to free asylum seekers, or like, you know, whatever it is. Um, but again, I'm like, well we could just care about people. <laughs> but anyway, we are commanded to eat no chametz, which means, like, risen, leavened stuff. And there's a whole lot of things that people debate about whether it's leavened. So, for example, beans, they expand when you cook them. And so even though it's not a mechanism based on yeast, rabbis are like, well, we'd better avoid the beans just in case. And, you know, like, rice, people go back and forward on rice, whatever. Different traditions from different cultural and ethnic and religious 
like segments of the Jewish community. But yes, yeah, so it's like, why on other nights do we eat both chometz and matzah, but tonight we only eat matzah? Um, and then what else are the other ones? Oh, so uh, on other nights we eat lots of vegetables, and tonight we eat maror, the bitter herbs. Um, and then on all other nights, uh, what's this one? Matbilin amim. I'll have to look that one up soon. Oh, um, oh, on other nights we don't dip our food even once, and on this night we dip twice, which is funny. You're double dipping? Yeah, it's Pesach. And then on all other nights we eat sitting or reclining, and on this night we only recline. Uh, that one doesn't seem to get done so much, but yeah, you're supposed to like eat on a couch, basically. Uh, it doesn't really happen. Anyway, that's the song uh, that will play us out here. So thank you very much for listening to this, what ended up being significantly longer episode than uh, I expected. Um, hopefully you found it interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, I hope you have a lovely Pesach or Easter or whatever you're doing this weekend, just like vibing on the couch, uh, as is the case for me. Um, yeah. Crunch, crunch. Manishtana halayla Me cold halayla. Me cold halayla. Shave cold halayla. Anu akhlin khametsumacha. Take it on.